Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul uh, is not with us today. Bernie is uh, standing and taking the calls at 0818103103. And uh, John Paul, of course, not with us because he is heading to Inna Shannon for the funeral of our uh, Paddy Palmer. And uh, those that can be there are there, and those of us that can't be there are here. Uh, keeping the show on the road, as Paddy would say, drive on. We're trying our best uh, to drive on, but just to say that we are very, very much uh, thinking of Paddy's family today because today is going to be extremely uh, tough for them to his wife, Colette, uh, Claire and Emily, his daughters and his little grandson, Lucas, his brothers, indeed the wider uh, and extended uh, Palmer family. We're thinking of all of them today and actually both the Examiner and the front page of the Echo uh, this morning carrying photographs of the huge amount of people that turned up for Paddy's removal yesterday. Um, I heard from one person that the estimates was that there was at least 4,000 people turned up to offer their sympathies uh, to the Palmer family yesterday and I was just thinking of them yesterday they must have been absolutely exhausted but we just hope that they take some comfort from the huge numbers that turned up. Such was the respect and high esteem that Paddy was held in and actually John Bowen in the Echo carries a piece today from the full council meeting last Monday and actually on Monday when we were uh, doing our tribute to Paddy we heard from Councillor Declan Hurley that at the meeting you know lots and lots of people at lots of the councillors wanted to pay tribute and to remember Paddy Palmer so there's a piece in the Echo uh, today uh, talking about the many touching tributes that of course were led by the Mayor of Cork County Danny Collins who hailed him as the voice of Sunday Sport on the radio. Um, Then there was a plethora of councillors from all of the political parties joining in in unison as they all were able to swap like witty anecdotes and acknowledging the contribution that the late Paddy brought to the Cork Airwaves over many many decades. For example Fianna Fáil councillor Sean O'Donovan he was actually taught by uh, Paddy when Paddy was a teacher at uh, Brogan's College in Abandon and Sean O'Donovan said there was so much more to Paddy than just being a media personality. He was kind, he was empathic and indeed an entertaining educator. He said I was lucky to have been a student of his and he he went on to say thank you for your kindness Paddy and your memory will live on. Fianna Fáil councillor Kevin Murphy said he was a top class communicator 
Terminator. He had a great way about him and he was a, tr- a true gent. He was always fun. He'll be sadly uh, missed. Franco Flynn described, uh, described Pawdy as a national loss. He said he was the voice of Cork GAA over many decades. He was full of life. Uh, his GAA coverage in Cork County will never be the same again. He brought matches into our living rooms and Franco Flynn said, I'd like to thank Pawdy for the many, many memories. And Fianna Fáil councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy recalled playing under Pawdy when Pawdy was a coach in the Cork vocational football team. So many strings to Pawdy's bow. He said he was full of wit and fun. He had he was insightful. He was humorous a take on the world of sport. And uh, Joe Carroll, the Fianna Fáil councillor, said he brought games to life in his match commentaries. He said you had to switch over to listen to him. He almost made it. He always made it very personal with the players on the field. And Joe. Carol said, I'm going to miss you, Body, as indeed so many of us are. So as I say, we are very much thinking of uh, Claire and uh, the girls and all of the family uh, today as uh, Pawdy makes his final journey, leaving his home at half past ten this morning. 0818103103. Bernie, as I say, sitting in for John Paul this morning. You can text or WhatsApp the programme as well to 0862103103. And going through the papers today, the front page of a lot of the tabloids have pictures of that little schoolboy who was so badly mauled by a pit bull terrier. And it's a kind of a happy story today because the little boy has finally been allowed home from uh, hospital and the little lad said it's great to be back but there's photographs of little uh, Alejandro uh, Mizen but there's photographs of his face and he is bearing the visible scars that he will carry with him bless his heart for the rest of uh, his life he was released from Crumlin Children's Hospital and the first thing he did on going home was he went for a haircut bless his heart he's been in hospital since he was brutally attacked by the pit bull near his home in Enniscorthy that attack actually happened on the 27th of November since then he has underwent two major operations at first he was unable to talk but thankfully he is back speaking again he did have to spend Christmas in hospital and undergoing uh, treatment but he got the go ahead for medics to return home yesterday and he wasn't actually expected to come home for many more weeks but such has been his recovery and his fighting spirit that the hospital decided to leave him home uh, yesterday clutching a teddy bear he said I am so happy to be home with my family again it's great he said I got lots of nice presents at Christmas and he said everyone has been so nice to me he said my family are looking after me now but I have to go back into hospital two more times this week Alejandro's older brother Raul said his family overjoyed to have him home it's just so great to have him back with us again he said he's been so brave throughout the whole nightmare and all of the family are so proud of him now the family know that this little boy faces a long long road ahead of him but they'll all be with him to support him his brother also said that the support that they have received from the general public has been phenomenal he said everyone has been so kind 
you know and he went on the brother went on to say he's just this little boy he's touched the hearts of so many people and the figure actually raised through the GoFundMe page is now at 175,000 euro which is a huge huge sum of money for that little boy and hopefully that money can be used to get him the best plastic surgery that money can buy so that you know that they can do the very best that they can but it's just it's it's you know because they've got many of the tabloids today have a photograph of how this little boy this little nine year old boy looked before the attack and then when you look at his face now it goodness me he's he's lucky to be alive he really is lucky to be alive and we wish him nothing but the best uh, going forward and, and hope that he does you know that as I say with that money available to them and you know the, with good plastic surgeons that we have in this country please God uh, he will get his face back to as normal as possible 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Mike from Bantry has just been on by text and I don't know if anybody else has noticed this or not but he says that a friend of his could fill her coal bunker with three bags of coal when she purchased the coal bunker a few years ago but she's noticed of late in order to fill the coal bunker now she has to purchase five bags of coal. So you take it, have the, have the bags of coal become smaller? Yes, we know the price of a bag of coal has certainly uh, gone up. I mean, I'm wondering, I don't know where she buys her coal from has she noticed is there, is there something on the front of the bag to state how much coal is in it and what was in the original bags but but obviously if three bags was filling this bunker at one stage and is now taking five bags the very obvious one is that the bags have in some way become smaller has anybody else noticed that that's from Mike in Bantry texting 0862 103 103 Record today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862 and just to update uh, people that are waiting on the COVID bonus payment for the frontline workers, we had been we've been contacted by a number of people, particularly those working in private nursing homes who still haven't received the one thousand euro uh, pandemic bonus payment that was announced nearly a year ago now. And uh, one of our listeners had has already been told yes they're entitled to the money, and they were told by the company who are now operating it and who are now doing it on behalf of the HSE that they were waiting on funds to be released in order to pay this person and they asked us if we could get on to the company that was responsible to find out would have they any kind of a date on when they'll be able to pay people this €1,000 pandemic bonus that as I say was announced nearly a year ago. So we got on to the group uh, Koshi um, and then they forwarded us back on to the HSE. So the HSE came back on to us and said that the company are engaging directly with employers whose employees potentially meet the criteria and they did it on the 1st of November last year outlining to employers the process to be followed to claim for current and former employees who are eligible for this bonus payment. Now in order for workers to receive the payment a claim must first be made on their behalf by the employer or the previous employer so if for those who still haven't heard it's up to your employer to make sure that they've put in the claim for it they have a dedicated team who are assisting employers with any queries that they have to try to speed up the claims but it's important to note that this company only deals directly with employers uh, with the exception of an employee who say employer is no longer trading. They say 50% of employer claims submitted have been processed 
have been paid and they say subject to claims being accurate and complete the company will be able to advise employers of a rough date of when the money will be handed over so they're basically telling people to go back to your employer that they're only dealing directly with the employer so to anybody waiting on that pandemic payment it's your employer that you need to be talking to uh, now. The Irish Pharmacy Union has called this week for emergency legislation to allow pharmacists to supply substitute medications without GP approval. Now this is due to the current medical medicine shortage with some unavailable and others in very limited supply. To discuss what's going on at the moment I'm joined by Peter Weedle of Weedle's Pharmacy in uh, Mallow. Good morning to you Peter. Good morning Patricia how are you? I'm very well and a happy new year uh, to you. you. Why are we seeing a shortage of some medicines at the moment? Well there's always been a shortage of medicines throughout the years but it's got particularly bad in the last number of years and in, in recent times, it has been exacerbated by a sheer demand for medicines because of the high level of infections that are going around, the, what the Americans call the triple-demic, COVID, flu, and RSV. So there's a huge demand. It's been crazy you know, over the last number of months. And um, I think it's just a perfect storm, really. So demand is simply outstripping supply. Yes, but the supply has got uh, curtailed because, well, really because of the COVID pandemic, the sheer demand that was there at the very beginning for steroids, antivirals, anticoagulants and so on. And of course, the pandemic itself caused disruption to manufacturing and and supply chains worldwide. So, you know, all of that has been building up and we haven't had the chance, I think, uh, you know, worldwide to recover the production capacity. And then in recent times, because of the high level of flu and in particular RSV, um, we just, it's the sheer demand for antibiotics, for steroids, for analgesics. It's just, there isn't enough there. And, and there's other reasons behind why we don't have enough. And are there particular ones that you would be worried about as a pharmacist? Well, I mean, we, there has been, I think the call that has went out really is, is replicates what happened in the UK because certain antibiotics have gone into short supply. And, you know, whether it's, if you will, brothers and sisters of each other, if, if a, a GP writes a prescription for a specific named antibiotic, then that's the one the pharmacist has to supply. So right through the, let's say, the Christmas period, we've seen people literally ringing around pharmacies, going from pharmacy to pharmacy, trying to get a particular antibiotic. When in reality, one of maybe a half dozen different antibiotics would have done. So, in, for example, what they did in the UK was they, the GPs would be writing prescriptions for two or three different antibiotics, you know, kind of um, antibiotic A or antibiotic B or wow. antibiotic C. Wow. So, in other words, what, so a practical solution. Yeah. Obviously, a bit more work on the GPs, and they could do without any more work at the moment. But uh, it would then have facilitated the supply of the of the medication. But 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 if if somebody goes into a pharmacy with a prescription for a particular antibiotic, mm-hmm. and you as a pharmacy you just you just don't have it, and you can't even ring around uh, to get it, what then happens? Well, it has to be referred back to the GP, and of course, uh, that the GPs are obviously very very busy at the moment. The phone lines are melting uh, for them and if it's South Dock then you've got a, a whole other ball game of trying to get get through to the doctor in South Dock and you have to go through the central switch so you know literally it can be you know 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes and and sometimes an awful lot longer to get through so it really leaves the person in, in a very difficult position plus we 
know that you know we, uh, I would be checking pretty well every morning uh, when I come in for you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, going through, seeing what what antibiotics can I get. I know what ones are short, and then trying to um, infill that. Now, luckily, we haven't been too bad. We've, we've, we, because we tend to buy in quite heavily at the beginning of December, because, you know, Christmas occurs at the same time every year. People get together every year. Everyone gets colds and flu every year. So we buy heavily at the beginning of December for December into January. So we haven't been too bad, and we haven't got cut out too much. But... You know, unless you had, if you will, stockpiled, which probably was what we did, um, uh, you're going, your pharmacies are going to run out. And there's no cough bottles available either, for example. It's well, just crazy. Well, I, I was in one of your, your lovely shops at the weekend. And Thank you very much. I couldn't get over uh, the, the, some of the shelves were just empty and it was where the cough bottles should be. I mean, yeah. there's just no cough bottles to be got. Yeah, well, there are cough bottles to be got. But I mean, if, if your favourite one of a yeah. particular flavour, you may not be able to get that. A lot of the Benlands, for example, the Actifeds are not available. But there are, there are still... There are alternatives. There are alternatives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are chesty cough bottles available there are dry cough bottles available but it's not maybe what the the brand that the the, the, uh, the person wanted them yeah. originally but go, go, go back to the gps and the writing of the prescriptions are the gps up to date with which antibiotics are in short supply um, no they couldn't be i mean it's it's it's, it's very difficult um you know because it's changing so rapidly and um and on a day-to-day basis so it, it there is no way to keep them up to date on it uh, now, they may have a fair idea of, look, I've got umpteen phone calls about such an antibiotic, it can't be available. But it, there is no way of keeping them up to date. Mm-hmm. I mean, the HPRA publish a list, but it, it's not as accurate, perhaps, as it should be. But as of yesterday, there were 221 different medicines in short supply in Ireland on their list. There's probably more than that. Do you feel most pharmacists would like to be able to offer an alternative like what's been suggested by the Irish Pharmacy Union? Oh, it's absolutely. I mean, and I think most GPs would probably agree with that as well. You know, if, if they're writing a particular antibiotic, they're, they're in, a, let's say, a family of antibiotics. They might be using a penicillin antibiotic, especially for, let's say, for strep A or something like that. Then, you know, it can be one of, a, of, a, of a, an array of antibiotics. But if they put down a specific antibiotic, then the pharmacist at the moment can't change that unless they get the approval from the doctor. And then, then the, it's ringing the GP, getting through to the GP, the GP having to say, right, oh, I agree with that. That's fine. Most of the time, obviously, 99 times out of 100, they are going to agree But with it's it. such a waste of time yeah, on, bureaucracy. On, on a bunch of people who are already very overworked. Uh, yeah, everyone's overworked at the moment. I mean, it's just been crazy, uh, right for the last number of weeks. It's just been, you know, it's been busy. And I think it's, you know, it, it does go back to the pandemic as well, which in reality is probably not over. But uh, the systems have not had a chance to recover from that. You know, and look, Brexit has played a part as well, because we pre-Brexit, uh, a lot of medicines were made for both the Irish and the UK market, and we were one small part of that, maybe 10% of it. So if a manufacturer was making a particular medicine, they could make, a, let's say, a million packs of it or whatever, and Ireland got 100,000 of those. Now, because we're the only English-speaking country within the EU, and England, sorry, the UK is not within the EU, the manufacturer is now having to make specifically for Ireland. So, there, you know, we had that buffer of the UK supply as well. Um, you know, because you know, we could because we were a small part of that overall supply chain. We could take a little bit of it. 
no, we can't take any of it. Mm. So that you know, it, so it, the, 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 it, it's a perfect storm. And I mean, you know, it's also things like paracetamol have been going into short supply mainly because of sheer demand uh, and also because of a lot of the production of the original. Uh, sorry, what they call the API, the actual. Um, pharmaceutical ingredients or the active pharmaceutical ingredient like paracetamol, like penicillin or whatever, they're made in China they're made in, in India, but of course China and India, have you know, their production facilities have all been hammered as well because of you know staff shortages people out sick with COVID, people out sick with flu, so we're in a perfect storm at yeah. the moment. Yeah, Carol in Bantry has two small children, she was reading in the papers during the week that Calpol is in short uh, supply uh, that leaves her panicked because she always likes to have the Calpol in the cupboard what are the alternatives? Yeah well I mean uh, Calpol is is, par- is is a brand of paracetamol and that's what I just mentioned a while ago that the paracetamol I mean 100 packs of paracetamol uh, which are on prescription, um, you know They've been in and out of supply for uh, for quite a while now. Uh, at the moment, it, no supplier has them. We can't get them. Uh, we have, luckily we sort of some in stock, uh, and that will vary from pharmacy to pharmacy. But there are other alternatives to Calpol. Again, back to what we said at the very beginning, Patricia, which was that you may not be able to get the particular brand that you want or the particular flavour, but there will be something, something else uh, yeah. available. Yeah, because some people are saying is there a danger that people will spot Calpol in their local chemist and buy as many bottles as they can. And well, they might, be, they might be restricted on that. Yeah, because you don't want people stockpiling either. No, and that's the problem. And that, that you know, there is an issue there. And yes, there's a problem. And of course, by talking about it on your radio program, are we are we contributing <laughs> to the problem? But yeah, there there is there is uh, there is that danger, and and you don't want people to to stockpile because we want to try and you know spread it out, especially for those that that need it. And you know, children have taken a particular hammering this year with regard to RSV um, and flu. And, you know, you need Calpol and, and their equivalents uh, f- for those children. So it's a fright to have it in your uh, cupboard at home when Somebody someone else, else needs, needs it. it. Yeah, you know, yeah so. well said, well said. And very finally, Barry says, while you have Peter Weedle on, would you ask him, please, about the new COVID variant and do we need to be worried? This is a Kraken, I think it's called, the new strain of COVID? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, apparently, yeah apparently that's the name for it. It's X, it the official name is XBB 1.5. Oh, it, okay. it, the tongue. Yeah, it's 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 it, it, well, it is worrying because it's spreading very very fast. It, apparently, in um, northeast America, kind of around the Great Lakes, it's now representing seventy percent of the cases. I think overall in the states, it's about twenty eight percent of the cases. It's spreading faster than anything ever before. However, and we don't we're not clear on this, but it doesn't appear to be any more lethal. So the um, so the chances are we are going to end up getting. Uh, infected with this new variant over the next few months. The chances of ending up in hospital or even worse, dying from it, are probably no worse than what we've seen previously and maybe less. But it's, we're back. The, the pandemic is not over. I, I think I said that in, towards the beginning. Mm. You know, we keep on, you know, we all declared it last summer. We said, let's just forget it, masks on and everything else. It really is. Make sure you get your booster. And we all know what to do. Make sure you get the booster, wear a mask, and avoid uh, indoor crowded spaces. Uh, and, of course, we've all forgotten about the mask wearing. And the reason yeah. we didn't have flu last year or the year before 
was because we didn't we were wearing masks and washing our hands and doing all that good stuff. Now I'm sure we're all still washing our hands, but we're not using the alcohol uh, gels anymore. And mask wearing is gone. I mean, I, I often go into a local shop uh, for a sandwich or whatever at lunchtime. I'm, I, everyone's looking at me as if I got two heads because I'm the only one wearing a mask. Yeah, wearing yeah. a mask. We need to probably for the next few months wear get back to being a bit more sensible about wearing masks and uh, keeping up the the hand hygiene and making sure we get our boosters yeah. because I mean, and again, the level of flu this year, it, flu started ten weeks earlier than normal. It it started at a higher escalation than normal. And look, we've seen, we, we we could have told you back in August and September what was going to happen in the hospitals. It's predictable. And this year it happened again. Yeah, yeah. and we had, we certainly had the warning, the flu warnings out of Australia because obviously their winter Absolutely. is ahead of ours. And they were warning because they saw yeah. it and exactly what happened yeah. in Australia has happened here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so keep your vaccines up to date. Peter, as always, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for Thank that. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Peter Weedle of Weedle's Pharmacy in uh, Mallow on the over 200 medicines that are in short supply. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now, yesterday we discussed a lack of outdoor staff by the council in the McCroom area and we had some stark figures dropping from eight full-time staff 12 years ago uh, to just one full-time and one part-time staff currently. Cove is another area that's under pressure when it comes to local authority staff and raising his concerns is local Labour councillor Cahal Rasmussen. Good morning to you, Cahill. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're well, you? yeah, I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. OK, how many Thank local you. authority outdoor staff do you currently have in Cove? OK, I suppose it would be important to say it's not just Cove, it's the Cove Municipal District. OK. what we have. So technically we don't have anybody based in Cove on its own, bar two people who will be involved in, say, street cleaning and, and stuff like that. So they work as part of a team and they're delegated works all over the Cove Municipal District as such. So I suppose there's up to 20 as such in total available at any one time. But that covers then Cove, Cartool, Lockraha, Glenville, Watergrass Hill, Little Island. So it covers that's a huge a big, number of places. That's, that's a big area. Big area. And is, is, that big a, area. is that a decrease, say, on previous, say, 10, 15 years ago? Yes, it, it, will, it would be a decrease on what was there in the old days as such. But again, you see, it's very hard to, to, to explain because in the old days, Little Island, Cartool, Glenville, Wargatil, these places had no workers. Going back 10 years ago, approximately, when they got rid of the urban councils and areas like that, what you had was that Cove had their own area. We had 10 or 12 staff in the Cove area that looked only after Cove and the Great Island. Yeah, that, and that's exactly so, what Ted Lucy was highlighting in McCroom. Yeah, when the district yeah. councils were there, it was a different kettle of fish and you knew exactly what you had and they worked yes. just in, in your area. And, and are you now concerned going forward that you'll even see less on the streets in Cove? Is that your big worry? Well, I suppose where, where this came from really was that when when the boundary was agreed, going back a few years ago, the numbers were reduced at that stage in a number of areas that lost grounds, like, for example, the Cove Municipal. We lost Glanmire. As a result, now we weren't made aware at the time that op, uh, general operatives would be moved to the city. It, we, I only became aware of it just before Christmas. 
and I was advised that two people would be lost immediately. And at the same time, there was two other people who were going to probably retire in the, in 2023. So, and you know yourself, it's not when somebody retires, it's not always easy to get somebody in straight away. There's a time lag, and I suppose I raised my concerns in in the chamber. Uh, I was told they couldn't talk about it because it was they were dealing with the unions. Then I raised it at the budget meeting, and I suppose the commitment we got from the executive was that we're actually taking on uh, general operatives this year in, for the whole county. Okay. So my head was puggled then saying, right, we're taking on another 10 approximately operatives, but we're losing two in Cove. So my question then is, are we guaranteed that the two people who retire, will they be replaced in time for our busy seasons and stuff? And we didn't get any commitments. So I then put a motion into my own municipal and we looked to meet the director of services who refused to meet us because he said he was still dealing with the unions. So we've gone back now looking for, for another, again, another meeting. And to be fair to the, our local engineers, they are, they've assured us that they work won't suffer. Okay. I suppose our concern is, even though we'll be down people, but you know and I know, that's all fine. But for example, in the, and you mentioned Cove, Cove is, is unique really in the whole county and probably in the whole country because we, o- over the summer period, we'll have 100 liners coming to Cove. So any day during the week, we could have five, six thousand, maybe 10,000 people extra in Cove for, for the summer period. Some people will come to see the liners, some people will be on the liners. So I suppose our concern really is to say to the engineer, that's all fine, but we, we'll obviously need extra cleaning when the bigger liners come in, um, extra road cleaning, all this kind of stuff. Um, and the concern that we have is how are we going to do it if we're down two people at this stage and then our line is we should be increasing the number as such. Um, but at the Yeah, moment, I, I think that's a valid point because of the cruise ships that come into into town and as you say, all the extra people, that, so many people go to see the cruise liners. Yes. Uh, it's almost like an exception really needs to be made of the town of uh, Cove, particularly when it comes to litter picking and emptying of bins and making sure that this, the, the, the streets are tidy because that's the image Correct. that you want to project. Completely. And to be fair, we, our, 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 our general operatives from the Clark County Council with our engineers work very hard and we work very well with the tidy towns. And the tidy towns are flat out in Cove, like every other area. And we're very close to winning the overall title. One of the concerns that we have is that we still need to move on to the next level, Patricia. And, you know, reducing the numbers and not having people available isn't the answer to it. And I suppose the concern that we have as, as local reps is that we're not being listened to at this point in time. While we were, we are being told more people have been taken on, but we're, being, we're not being told they're going to come into Cove. And for sure, if we're losing two people, logic will tell you they're hardly going to give us one, one or two of the, the other ten people that are the new positions that are going to come in. That would, you know, that that wouldn't make sense, even though we should look for it. So we have a bit of a fight on our hands at the moment, and mm. uh, we're just waiting now for the director of services to come back to us to see what can be done. There was some discussion about seasonal staff. Would that was kind of a compromise that I got uh, between myself and the executive uh, that we may be able to use some seasonal staff at the peak times. But again, our peak times are for three or four months of the year. You know, so it's it, that's a long time to have seasonal staff. Um, 
and I say we're, we're, we have a big situation at the moment it's not resolved OK and you know I was speaking with Conor Horgan of Eyeball the Irish Business Against Litter yesterday and, and yeah. we were talking about the, the wonderful volunteers of the Tidy Towns and he agreed when I'm always saying where would we be without Tidy Towns oh. you've got a very strong Tidy Town group in Cove <clears throat> Yes to, to be fair we work very close to the Tidy Towns they do some enormous work every day of the year and you see them there uh, every Saturday they're out. Then they're out, I think, as Wednesday nights they're out as well. And he, he, the local schools have got involved with through transition years, working with them. So we're very, very lucky in Cove. And I suppose, again, one of the issues that I would have as a public rep is that if these people get fed up and get tired of what they're doing, because if they, they don't feel that they're getting the support, then where are we all going to be? Because for sure, without the tidy towns working in, in collaboration with the councils, the whole country, not just Cove or Cove Municipals, would be in a desperate straight altogether. And it's great credit to all these people, to be yeah, honest with you. Yeah, I'd be 100%. <clears throat> and I saw your fellow councillor, uh, Sinead Shepherd, uh, raise concerns about vandalism at the public toilets in, in Cove. Is there a danger yeah. that if that vandalism continues, you'd have to close them? Yeah, I'd be honest with you. We've had numerous issues over the last 12 months, particularly where fires have started in the public toilets. <clears throat> there was one as late as Christmas when I went down to, to see what was going on. And it's unbelievable. We're, we're trying to get on top of it. But the, the problem is that when, the, when they go in and they set the fire, the smoke damage that do, it does, it puts the tiles out of operation for a week or two, plus the overall cost. Then you have the cost of the fire brigade on top of that. So, there, <clears throat> so what we've asked is for figures from the, from the engineers to tell us exactly how much um, it's actually costing. And we'll have that at our next meeting. But there is a risk that if this carries on, something will have to happen. We have discussed the idea of putting back, you know, the old days with the coin and the slot and all yeah, that yeah. as an, an option. <clears throat> but again, people aren't in favour of that. But at the same time, we're going to have to get to a situation where if we can't resolve it, something will have to change. Because I think last year, if five if not six times, uh, uh, which is every six or eight weeks really is what happened, there was damage done to it and we had to close it. So that's intolerable, really. Um, and has so we'll anybody, has anybody <clears throat> ever been held to account for it? No, and again, but the difficulty is is that, you know, under GTPR, we can't put cameras near the yeah, location. Yeah, because it's toilets, yeah. So, and, and we've looked at all options about putting cameras on the road, across the road, and all this kind of stuff. You know, as well as I do, <laughs> you're dealing with this every day of the week. With GTPR, it's very difficult to get these things right. So up to now, we haven't been able to catch anybody. Um, and it's not late at night, it's five or six o'clock in the evening when these people go in there and set the fire or do the damage. And nothing so better it, it to be doing. Nothing, nothing better, better to be, be doing. doing yeah. Shocking, shocking. Doing, yeah. And you it's had shocking, yeah. such shocking. a busy a year last year with the, the cruise ships. You <clears> mentioned there, are, are you expecting to be equally as busy this year? You mentioned 100? Yeah, the, the information that we have is that there could be up to 100 uh, ships coming in again uh, this season. And like it was super last year. I suppose we've all forgotten what it was like with COVID when everything was shut down and it was, you know, we'd forgotten, not, not forgotten, but, you know, you wouldn't remember the line was coming in. All of a sudden, last last season, they came in, they floated in and it was business as usual and it was great to see the crowds around the, the town. the buzz around the town. To I was it. down there one day. Balls, it's brilliant. incredible. It's brilliant. incredible. And it's such a beautiful so town as well. Okay, listen, keep, fly, keep flying the flag uh, for Cove, uh, Cahal, as I know you no do. Problem, and in the meantime, thank you for that. Thanks for joining no us. Good Great morning to you. Bye bye, bye bye. That is a local Labour councillor in Cove, Cahal Rasmussen. John says when we're talking about tidy towns, the, the, the volunteers of the tidy towns are doing so much work, work that council.
council workers uh, should be doing and they get absolutely no pay- payment for it. They are volunteers and they are incredible, uh, says John. And Anne was listening with interest to Carl Rasmussen saying that the council are going to look for uh, extra outdoor operatives, um, outdoor staff. Uh, John, Anne reckons that young lads today won't take up those jobs. If a job can't be done on the phone, there's very few young lads interested in taking up manual work uh, like the workers do on the outdoor staff. Well, let's wait and see when they advertise those posts, how many people step forward. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your call that the town of Mallow has been deemed the most royal obsessed town in Ireland. It's all thanks to a company called Digital Funnel who did their own research and what they did was they examined Google search data from across the country in order to decipher which of Ireland's towns were the most royal obsessed. So they looked for example at searches for Prince Harry, Prince William, Prince now King Charles, the Queen, Prince Philip and they looked back on Google history uh, in all the towns for the past 12 months and when it was examined it was Mallow in County Cork that is leading the way when it comes to searches about the royal uh, family. Lowest of the list was Galway and Kildare County came out as the most royal obsessed county when you take in the Kildare towns of Nace, Selbridge, Newbridge and uh, Maynooth but Mallow came out as the top most royal obsessed country on Google searches. There was only one odd there and they were well ahead on the overall results. There was only one other town in Cork that featured in the top 10 and that was the town of uh, Carrigaline. So good people of Mallow, what do you make of the fact you're the most royal obsessed people in the country? And of course, there's so much commentary in the paper today to do with the royal family and in particular to do with one Prince Harry because his headline grabbing memoir called Spare has now become the fastest selling non-fiction book ever. The book is packed with explosive allegations about Britain's royal family. It also has fascinating insights about their private lives and it sold 400,000 hardback ebook and audio format copies on its first day. Now according to publishers as far as they know the only other book to have sold more on the first day uh, was to do with another Harry but that Harry was uh, Harry uh, Potter and actually bookshops in the UK opened early yesterday which was the official, the 10th was the official publication date but it seems that, that the queues outside the shops was very sparse, nothing like the queues that they would have got for the Harry Potter books but I suppose that had a lot to do with the fact that there was a little bit of a mistake when the book was inadvertently put up for sale in Spain last Thursday. Now within a number of hours it was taken off the shelves but not before people had had time to uh, buy it and of course it got translated into English and many royal journalists poured over it and in the last number of days there's been wall to wall coverage about what is contained in the book so maybe that stopped the queues of people outside of shops waiting to get it. The publication has been accompanied by a publicity blitz of course also there's been several interviews by the Prince and industry experts have predicted that Prince Harry's book Spare will be one of the best selling pre-ordered titles of the past decade and there's a photograph making a lot of the papers today 
of Waterstones in Piccadilly. And it appears that just one fan couldn't wait to get her hands on the book. A lady by the name of Caroline Lennon. She was the first and only customer in the queue at Waterstones in Piccadilly when they began selling the autobiography at midnight yesterday. And there is a huge bank of photographers taking a photograph of her as she was leaving the store in London with her copy of the controversial memoir where she was the only one in the queue. There was uh, 10 times more photographers there than people who had actually queued to uh, buy the book. And also, if you are in Mallow and you're a royal watcher I can tell you that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will be invited to King Charles's coronation but according to papers today senior royals believe that the pair will find a reason not to attend the couple are to be offered the chance to attend when the guest lists are finalised but it's understood they have already been written out of any former role in the event of course it's going to happen on the 6th of May in Westminster uh, Abbey uh, according to to sources close to the royal family. The royal family will extend the invitation but it would be very hard for Harry and for Meghan to be there given everything that's been said in the interviews and of course the book that now is officially out to the family then are expecting but we're going to have to wait and see that Harry and Meghan will come up with some reason not to uh, attend and actually if you've watched any of the interviews that Harry has been given he's avoided saying that he would accept uh, an invitation and every time he gets asked about it he just says look, that, they, that he has set conditions for healing the family rift but he never comes straight out and says oh yes I'm looking forward to the invitation and yes of course I'll attend Papa's uh, grad, um, coronation so only time uh, will tell but there, there you go the book is now on sale fastest selling book will you be buying it will you be reading it 0818 103 103 some of your thoughts coming into the programme this morning somebody when I was speaking with Peter Weedle about saying we need to go back to the basics when it comes to trying to stop the spread of Covid that RSV virus and uh, flu and one of what he said was people going back to wearing masks somebody straight away in saying never gave up wearing the masks I'm always wearing the masks and of course by wearing the masks you're not only protecting yourself you're protecting others as well and then some commentary in reacting to Mike from Bantry it was Mike from Bantry was on earlier to say that a friend of his bought a coal bunker uh, a number of years ago it's obviously it's a small little coal bunker and three bags of coal would fill the coal bunker for his friend but she's noticed of late it's now taken five bags of coal to fill it and he's wondering and she's wondering what's uh, going on. Uh, Pat says well Patricia you can get bags of coal in various sizes you can get a 20kg bag and you can get a 40kg bag but I take it from Mike's text Pat that his friend is buying the same bag of coal that she was always buying there just doesn't seem to be as much uh, in it which to me the sizes come down but she's just not aware of it. Tim and Mallow says we get five bags of coal every so often and what we've started noticing is it's three quarters of the bag is full of coal and the rest seems to be uh, slack We've been noticing that every time we are buying of late and that's from Tim in Mallow. And then a WhatsApp in from Mary in Clonmel says, yes, the bags of coal are smaller, but Mary says it's to do with the type of coal we're now using. The old coal is gone, of course. We're all down to the uh, smokeless coal now and the newer, the older coal was bulkier. It's now nuggets. So therefore, could that be the reason that when Mike's friend is filling up her coal bunker, it's just she's getting the same amount. It's just that the nuggets are uh, smaller. Uh, Thank you for those of your comments coming into 086 
to a 103-103. Listening again to Barry, the INMO figures are out showing people are still waiting on trolleys. And while the people are waiting on trolleys, we know that upstairs in so many of our hospitals all over the country, there are people that are well enough, deemed medically well enough to move on to either go home or to go to a step-down facility but unfortunately they're stuck in the hospital bed nowhere for them to go and some medically well patients who no longer need to be in overcrowded hospitals according to the papers today are now languishing in wards wait for this for more than six months and that's because of a lack of suitable step-down care in late November There was 47 patients now in hospitals all over the country who were deemed ready for discharge, but they were given their discharge date at least six months previously and up to late November they were still stuck in hospital and have nothing to indicate that they're not those poor people are not still there the health service blockage in some social care supports and rehabilitation for patients was the, with the most complex needs are all adding to the hospital gridlock which led to another 530 patients on a uh, hospital trolleys yesterday struggling to get a bed and only weeks before hospitals suffered recent record overcrowding the HSE figures showed in total 599 patients who were fit to leave but could not be discharged now the HSE yesterday were were pushed on providing the most up to date figures on delayed discharge but they said that they won't have the more up to date figures until later this week so we'll keep a close eye on that at the weekend health staff worked overtime to try to step up, step, step up those discharges. And there was an increase in discharges over the weekend. But that's all well and good if the people have some place to go. But it's the poor souls who have nowhere uh, to go. Uh, senior doctors warned yesterday that there is, there is likely to have already been patients' deaths due to the crisis and more people will die because they're afraid to come to hospital and that is the reality of it and we know there's already been some well publicised cases that young girl in uh, Limerick was left on the trolley for 16 hours and died of meningitis I mean that was a direct result that she wasn't seen in a timely fashion and obviously with meningitis she should have been straight into a hospital bed and how many more have died that we will never know about and I also think the senior doctors warning about we know we're hearing it from GPs that when they suggest to a patient that they need to go to hospital particularly older people they're terrified because they don't want to be left lying on a trolley and I read you know a really powerful piece from a doctor I think it's in County Roscommon in the papers today who was saying that you know she's trying to persuade some of her patients who need to go to hospital you know to go to A&E and when they say don't want to go because they don't want to end up in a trolley she said I can't look them in the eye and say oh you won't be left in a trolley you will get a bed so it's very hard on uh, doctors as well and then you know trying to battle the HSE as best they can uh, with this overcrowding at the moment I'm also reading in the papers that health workers have been offered now this is a once off weekend overtime bonus and this is in a bid to try to boost staff numbers to cope with the winter hospital surge the Department of Health has sanctioned what they're calling an exceptional measure that includes enhanced overtime and time off in lieu for those who work extra hours on Saturdays and on and are on Sundays work 
workers will get double time if they do an extra shift and the shift has to be at least eight hours. They will also get time off in lieu worth half the extra hours and this has been put in place until the end of the month. Managers in certain grades will also get time off in lieu to the extra hours that they have worked. Now, some sources are saying that that enhanced overtime arrangement will mainly benefit diagnostic workers including things like physiotherapists and lab staff and employees not normally rostered on weekends so it's not going to be across the board but you kind of look at it and you think will that be enough? I mean I think that we need to I know they, we need to try and think outside of the box but you wonder do they need to do a lot more than just offer an, an enhancement to staff that are already exhausted to come back in on Saturday and on Sunday and people often wonder you know about our health budget and the amount of money that we put into our health budget and how is all of that money spent and I read a piece today and I'm wondering did some of our health budget go on the cost of the covering a private the, the government's private jet because the health minister Stephen Donnelly used the government jet to fly to Brussels wait for this for a routine EU meeting last month now that was despite the fact that an alternative commercial flight was available Stephen Donnelly now he had four department of health officials with him travelled on the Learjet on Thursday the 8th of December for a meeting of EU health ministers that was due to take place the following day there are typically three or four flights every single day out of Dublin going to Brussels. They're operated by both Ryanair and Aer Lingus and they do operate on weekdays. Uh, Minister Donnelly's spokesperson said that the use of the government jet was requested to facilitate the Minister's busy diary commitments. Will you ever come on? And uh, Hugh O'Connell, the Deputy Political Editor in the Irish Independent, goes into it in more detail, you know, showing what flights were available on the day on the Thursday, you know, saying, you know, showing how, what time he would have landed in, in Brussels and then, you know, could have got a flight back the next day uh, etc he also goes into detail you know about what was in the minister's diary uh, on that day now I know the department officials are saying oh he would have been briefed while he was on the plane you know a part of it would have been briefing you know what's coming up in the meeting but could you not do that sitting on a commercial flight can you not sit next to the minister and uh, brief him and I know when people read and see stuff like that in the paper that just really frustrates and annoys people uh, when because it's it, it's it, it just feels like waste, doesn't it? Not alone thinking about the carbon footprint of taking the private jet to transport himself and four of his officials to uh, Brussels. It makes absolutely no sense to me. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your call. C103 Jobs. Traffic management operatives are wanted for the North Cork area. Full clean driver's licence is desirable and full training will be provided. CVs please to info at swtm.ie or you can call 086-8730731. Agricultural sales accountant manager is required for the ICMSA in the Cork Kerry and Limerick areas. Your contact is Joanna on 061-314-677. A person wanted for general accounts slash office duties that's in the Mill Street area. CVs please to Mill Street Office 2022 at gmail.com and a childminder is required for two school going children living in the Kilavollen area now school collections will be required 086 028 
You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now, according to a taxpayer sentiment survey conducted by taxback.ie, most people want the local property tax abolished. With a deadline for payment uh, approaching for some people this week, Marion Ryan of taxback.ie joins me to discuss what is a rather unpopular tax. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning. And happy, yeah, think, happy New Year to you. Um, do, do people simply see this tax as unfair? Yeah, that, to put it simply, yeah. I think it, people find it really unfair and there's widespread confusion about it. I suppose with a bit of background, the local property tax, it was introduced during the, the, God, the austerity years. years yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think people see it as a fundraising and a project by the, the revenue commissioners and they find it really unfair. I suppose it takes into account none of their household income, their ability to pay the tax. For example, like many pensioners whose only source of income is going to be the state pension, they still have to pay local property tax and I suppose it's a huge chunk of their income there. And I suppose as well, there's the worry that there is the ability for local authorities to increase it at any time there for themselves. They can re- increase the rates by up to 15% per year. Now, it's not something that's done a lot, but I suppose there's that worry there for people that it could, it could be another bill that's just increasing hugely for them overnight. Yeah, and I think you make a good point for, for older uh, people uh, because this tax is based on the value of your house. You know, some older people can be asset rich, but they may only have that state pension, but they could be living in a part of the country that their house is worth a lot of money. Absolutely. They could be living like an asset rich and cash poor is kind of the, the way you look at it there for them. Like they may have a house that might have a high value they're going to have high eating bills, yeah, costs and stuff yeah. like that. And they're all all that's coming out of the one pot. It's coming out of the, the, their state pension, which is getting eaten away by the cost of living at, at the moment there. And then we also have people as well that may have paid huge stamp duty mm. on, on, on the cost of the house. They feel like they are getting double taxed on it. They paid huge stamp duty. Now they're paying the local property tax there. And again, it could be a case that you're in parts of the country there where you have to pay a huge amount for your house. You may be living in Dublin or living somewhere where it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. To pay for the house, you've got a huge mortgage cost and now you've got this huge local property tax on top of it. That comes in every single year. But when you asked people in, in your survey, Marion, did they feel that the money raised is, is well spent? I mean, it goes to fund local authorities, isn't, isn't that where the bulk of it goes? Yeah, they, they, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> now, I suppose any time you ask Anton about taxes, people are going to say that it's not spent right, it's not put to the right place, it, it, it should be abolished. If you ask anyone, do they want to think a tax is going to be abolished? They should, they say yes, nobody wants to pay it. But I suppose there's only one in five people actually voted and actually said that they would keep it in its current form. A lot of people wanted to change there. And there was a lot of confusion as well as to who is liable to pay it. Yeah, I was was surprised by this, that you you uncovered some confusion over who's liable. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we asked. Who who thought who should pay the local property tax, and like a huge amount of them, they're thought that it was homeowners of properties that less owned the property for less than five years, so that like after five years you're exempt from it. That was nearly twenty percent. A lot of people thought it was landlords of residential properties. Basically, it's owners or co-owners of residential properties that have to pay it there. So it's not the renters have to pay it there. Now there are a tiny few of properties that are exempt from local properties if, if it's not fit for dwelling and stuff like that, that they're exempt from it there but I suppose to bear in mind pretty much every residential property in the country the owner or the co-owner is the person that's liable for it not the tenant And we also have to point out there's a very high compliance with this yeah, tax there is and I suppose that it, it is very high it's 95% compliance with it so even though people don't like it they don't feel it's fair they still they are very compliant and they do pay it Yeah but it's the key to that the fact it's run by revenue Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's very different to say the, the television licence, which doesn't have as high a compliance as the local property tax uh, Absolutely. does. Absolutely. But then it's, it's, not run by, it's not run by revenue. OK, I mentioned that there are a cohort of people that need to pay the property tax. It's by tomorrow, isn't it? Thursday. Yeah, so there's a few different ones. So tomorrow's deadline is for anyone that's paying the local property tax by direct debit. So if they're paying by direct debit, it's done tomorrow. A huge amount of people, like myself now, they elect for it to be done through their salary. Yeah. So it'll be taken out monthly there. So they needn't worry about it. It's only the people that I have elected and said, I want to pay by direct debit. It's just to make sure that by tomorrow, 
that the, or by the 15th, apologies, the, the money should be in their account and ready to be taken by the revenue. I mean, we had a record tax uh, take um, that I, I spoke about. It was only announced um, last, week, last week, looking back across last year. Do you think the government could afford to abolish it, Marion? I, to be honest, I feel it's like the universal social charge. We could talk for days and days of how you feel and want it to be abolished there. It's not going to be abolished. It's in place now. And like with all taxation measures, once they're there, it's very hard for them to take it away. That's a huge pot of money that's coming in every every year, every month for them there. So I don't think it is. And there's of course going to be the cohort people that would argue that property tax is something that should be there. It's kind of a global thing. The UK, they have it. They have it here. Me, working at taxback.com, for talking about taxes, I'm always going to want all taxes reduced that are abolished there. I don't think it's something that will be abolished. Yeah. I don't think it's a conversation that I'll be genuinely had in the Revenue Commissioner. Yeah, somebody's pointing out, would Marion agree with house prices continuing to rise, the only way this tax is going is up? It's yeah, absolutely. Like, it's based on the, the value of your property and, and the location where you are. So, yeah, with the cost of houses going through the roof, the, the tax take from the local property tax is going to increase as well. Okay, while we have you on, we're going to pick your brain because we had a query in last uh, week from one of our listeners about the new rent tax uh, credit and the listener was fearful of applying for it because she was afraid that her rent would go up because of it. Yeah, it, it's, it's a fear that people have but you shouldn't shouldn't worry about it there. It, it's not going to be something that's going to impact the landlord. So it's not a tax that's been taken. The tax credit isn't a bill that's going to be sent to the landlord there. It's a tax relief that you're entitled to as a renter. The vast, vast majority of landlords are fully compliant at the moment. They're filing their tax returns. They're registered with the, the RTB. You should claim it there. It's €500 Euros per person. So it's a really nice tax credit and it's a refund that will go straight into people's pockets this year. So it was one of the best things that was introduced in the budget because it was introduced retrospective. So they introduced it for the 2022 tax year, which means that everyone that is renting or was renting last year, and also as well, if you're paying rent for a child in college, you actually can claim it as well there. So you can file your tax return, including everything else, your medical expenses, if you're working from home, and that's refund of at least €500. Euros yeah, and, and, and I know the particular listener who contacted us, that her landlord is registered with the RTB, and I also yeah. made the point that, you know, for her to go online and claim back this €500, uh, euro, her landlord won't even be aware she's done it, so there's no way that her rent could go up. No, no, and uh, like if the landlord is registered with the RTB, as I mean, there's no, there won't be no negative impact yeah, to the landlord yeah. for them filing the return. They'll have all the details they need on their tenancy agreement. So all you need is your address where you're living, name and address of the landlord, the, and all that information will be on, on it there in the RTB registration number. So it's really simple to get it back and it's really important for people to claim it there. There's about 600,000 renters in the country. Have we any idea how many people have already claimed? Not at all. No. Um, and only just because we're only first week into the, okay, into the year yeah, there. Yeah, now, time. I do know every conversation we're having here in taxback.com with people is about rent. So it's it's a hot topic of, of the year there. And it's just bear in mind as well that listener, when they are applying for their rent tax credit, include everything else in as well. Go through the box there, see what receipts you have for doctors and prescription fees, the dentist stuff last, last year. 
and clean everything you're entitled to. Yeah, the taxman won't come running after you looking to give it back to you. You've got, you have to put in the bit of work yourself. Exactly. They don't come running down, down the road. Now, I, I don't want to be the tax man and be coming down in there. The revenue's job is to make sure that everyone's taxed correctly. So yeah. if you file your return and request your tax credits and your expenses that you're entitled to there, they're more than happy to issue out the refund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, time and time again, we've had people go for refunds and people have come back delighted. Particularly, yeah. they never ceases to amaze me because when I mentioned about that query about the rent, uh, the new uh, um, tax credit for the renter, I couldn't get over the number of people that contacted Then I never heard of that. When was that introduced? So it's, yeah. there, there are, and there, was there many other changes that came in at the start that, of the year? That one was the major one. Okay. That's money straight into people's pockets. But people should this week, this month, in their pay packets as well, they should see a little bit more in their take-home pay because the, there was an increase in your personal tax credit by 75 euros. The same with the employee tax credit. They increased the bands so you can now earn up to 40,000 euros in the year before you start paying the higher rate of tax of 40%. They played around with the USC rates as well there. And so all of that there should kind of agree to an additional 500 euros take on pay this year for kind of the average ink burner. So you so should you start to see, more. yeah, you should start to see a little bit more on your paycheck this month. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah. There should be a little bit more for everyone. Okay, your mind of information as always. Marion Ryan of taxback.ie. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Marion Ryan. And uh, the guys from our traffic department have just said that there is um, traffic queuing uh, going into Inishannon from the Cork side. And obviously that's to do with uh, Paulie's funeral uh, this morning. So for, for people uh, travelling to the funeral, there will be obviously uh, delays. But for anyone who was not going, I, I would wait a few hours uh, before if you're heading to West Cork from the Cork side because there are t- there is queues now going into Inner Shannon. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103103. According to figures compiled by Drinks Ireland, non-alcoholic beer sales in Ireland have more than tripled between 2017 and 2021. So to discuss the popularity of the 0% beers in this country, I'm joined by Cormac Healy, who is Director of Drinks Ireland. Good morning to you, Cormac. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, dry January has become very popular in recent years. Do you think that that will add to increased sales on the non-alcoholic range? Yes, I I do. I think uh, certainly dry January and and we've we've turned into the new year. So uh, as an event uh, and a timing of the year, it certainly is maybe focusing consumers' minds and they're making changes in all parts of their lifestyle and, and uh, opting for uh, zero, zero beers or the other no and low alcohol alternatives is, is one of those things. I do think, though, that it's it's something, I mean, this is coming from both consumer demand, also met with industry responding and innovating and, and giving great new offerings. And there's unprecedented choice there now, I would say, of, of great tasting alternatives. And I think it's something that we are seeing throughout the year. It's not just January. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you've mentioned great taste because when non-alcoholic beers, Cormac, first appeared on our shelves, they weren't great. They really have improved, haven't they, both in taste and even style. You can be holding a non-alcoholic beer bottle and it looks exactly the same as an alcoholic one. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's been, I mean, really, there has had to be a lot of work and, and uh, 
you know, research and, and innovation to make sure that you were capturing that uh, taste as well that, uh, that consumers like. I think that has been achieved. And I mean, I think the work continues and industry will continue to uh, explore this area and invest in it. And I mean, that's what we've seen. I mean, the the... The, 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 we're moving from a low base, if you like, but we have seen a tripling in the in the figures of sales of zero zero beer from 1.8 million litres to 5.6 million litres in that period between 2017 and uh, 2021. I do think when we see the figures for 22, they will also show a further increase because it's it's meeting with an overall trend. As I say, this isn't just for January. I mean, this is something that we're seeing throughout the year, yeah. and it's it's meeting with other trends of. Of, uh, of moderation. And the reality is, too, that alcohol consumption has been falling. The, the long-term trends on, the, on alcohol consumption in Ireland over the last two decades have shown that consumption has dropped by over 30%. And that's got to be welcomed. Is, is that the younger generation, Cormac? It, it is. I mean, I think, I mean, it's not solely, but certainly it, uh, it, it figures that we have uh, seen in some research we've done. There is certainly uh, a different sentiment within the younger generations, Gen Z and younger millennials, towards their relationship with alcohol, towards their, you know, relationship with drinking and socialising. They are drinking less. I mean, they may be opting for less but better. And uh, certainly that does tie in with the premiumization that we try to achieve in terms of the, the quality drinks products that are produced, both for the domestic market and, and uh, for, for export markets. And we've, we've seen some great figures on the export front uh, coming out today as well. And are, are other countries seeing an increase, by the way, in the non-alcoholic products? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, while while I suppose on the on the beer side, as I've said, it is coming from a low base. Uh, we've, I mean, uh, the percentage share of zero zero beers in the market has increased fourfold, but it's probably in the region of one point five to two percent. But that growth is continuing, and what we see in in markets that may be a little bit further down the road than us, uh, the likes of Germany. The share of market there in the beer market of, of non-alcohol beer is um, 12%. In Spain, it's moving close to 11%. So I think that shows where the trends are going. And I think globally, the view is that there is annual growth in the zero-zero category of about 9% uh, forecast up to 2025. So it's something that we're going to see growing. And it, Germany is an interesting country because, you know, they're famous for their beers. Absolutely. I mean, they're a, they're a beer-loving country, yeah. um, but this is, I mean, and uh, you know, I think those trends that I, I mentioned earlier around Gen Z and younger millennials, it's, it's not something just in Ireland. It's seen certainly around Europe, I mean, and I think the uh, availability and increased availability and, and choice that's there on the zero-zero or the, the, the low-alcohol alternatives is at least it's providing consumers with that with that option and mm. I think many of them are, are going for that and as I said throughout the year it's not it's not just for January Yeah and it isn't just uh, beers I, I couldn't get over the uh, being a, I was in an off licence before Christmas huge section for the non-alcoholic items because it isn't just beer anymore Yes no that's that's true I mean uh, I mean you obviously there are lots of alternatives on the on the wine front but also, I mean, here and, and, and domestically produced from, from craft producers, you're seeing uh, cider, uh, low, low and zero, zero and low cider uh, offerings. And even on the spirit side, I mean, you're, you're seeing that coming through. Actually, some of the, the growth figures there uh, are, are exceptional. I mean, on the cider front, it's, it's going by 52% uh, on, the, uh, on the spirits, zero, zero. 
uh, it's it's grown by over three hundred percent. Except they're from low from low levels, but the the choice is is there and coming into the market. And I think it will it is meeting a consumer demand as long as the taste. Uh, and the quality is is uh, is also to their satisfaction. And of course, whenever you mention non-alcoholic um, beers or, or wines or gins or whatever it is, people will always say, "But why why is it so expensive?" Yeah, well, I mean, look, the reality is a lot of investment and innovation has had to go in to bring these products to market. In terms of firstly, uh, you know, improving that taste profile that you talked about earlier. Uh, a lot of the, the the process is actually the same, and then you're at the very end adding on a step to remove the alcohol element of it. So there is a, there is a substantial cost in, in, in producing these and delivering the innovation that's, uh, that's uh, given the kind of choice that's out there at the moment. So it's, it's really produced almost in the same way, same ingredients, but just at some stage the alcohol is taken out. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I mean, uh, different manufacturers may have slight variations and different approaches. I mean, a huge amount of work uh, has gone into researching how best to do it and retain uh, and retain uh, the taste. So you know there, there may be variations in the in the process that people use, but but certainly uh, a central part of where I think where some of the success in more recent years has come through is that you are uh, you are brewing or, or distilling in the normal manner and then removing the alcohol as a final step. Okay, but good to see that we 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 seem to be in somewhere get maybe getting a control on our alcohol consumption in this country because that's not before time, Cormac. Well, I think it it fits with the trends that are there. I think we need to be conscious that uh, while there may have been, uh, as you rightly say, uh, a view around our relationship with alcohol or alcohol misuse, I mean, and that's not in our interest as an industry either. But things are and have been changing. I mean, consumption is down. There is a different approach from the younger generations towards it. Moderation and balance, I think, is 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 more in focus, and we're happy to work and support that. And I think. The zero zero offerings are part of that. Okay. All right. Listen, Cormac, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Uh, Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Cormac Healy. And Cormac is the director of Drinks Ireland on the increase in people going for non alcoholic beers and wines and uh, spirits. 0818 103 103. I mentioned Prince Harry and Meghan in the book Spare and all of that. Pat says, Patricia. Harry and Meghan and the rest of the royal family. What old nonsense. Why don't they? get a job like everybody else and stop all this posturing and parading around well I think Harry and Meghan are doing quite well without getting a formal job they're certainly making a lot of money at the moment and there's a lot of money to be made out of this Prince Harry's book we contacted by the way Philip's bookshop in Mallow to ask them um, are they selling spare and how is it going they tell us it's flying out the door they've only got six copies left and they say it's temporarily out of stock uh, with their Irish supplier and the reason of course that we uh, we got trying to get onto Philip's uh, bookstore we're trying to get onto the other bookstore uh, Easton's but we can't get them on the phone uh, is because it was announced earlier today by this company Digital Funnel that Mallow in County Cork is Ireland's most royal obsessed town 0818 103 103 our lines are open and some of your commentary uh, coming into the programme this morning Heidi says Patricia the amount of rain we've had for probably the last three to four months I believe would have filled at least 
least three water reservoirs from empty to full. I'm saying this because you can bet your bottom dollar that come summertime, what, what will happen will be told restrict your water use because of low water levels. Why? When we have all the way to this time of the year, why don't the powers that be do something to store the water? Yeah, which is a, a good and a fair point, Heidi. Thank you for that and stay dry. Now, a number of commentary... A number of comments coming in following my interview with Marion Ryan of taxpack.ie. We were talking about a local property tax, but we also tied it in with tax credits that are available for rent for renters. And it's it's retrospective, which means you can claim back on any rent that you paid uh, last year. Listener was on saying, does is it the parent or the student that claims back the rent on student accommodation? Well, obviously, if the student is working and is able to claim back tax, the student can do it. But they changed when they initially brought it in. It had to have been the student. And then there was a big hoo-ha because a lot of students weren't working and it was the parents were paying the rent. So they changed the legislation there so it's the parent can claim back. If the parent is the one paying the rent for the student, you can, and you, it's very easy to do it. You do it all online. Uh, Sally and Bandon. Uh, wants to know on property tax uh, she heard that you're that you're exempt from paying property tax if you are a carer and she wanted to know if we could find out so we got back on to Marion because unfortunately I didn't see her question in time and Marion says an incapacitated person can be exempt from tax but not necessarily the carer but if you're a carer in the house with the incapacitated person and they are, are entitled or they're expected to pay property tax and then they can be exempt Carmel in Skibbereen is asking about notifications to pay the property uh, tax she tried to phone revenue about the local property tax but she simply is having problems getting through she pays it uh, every she's paid it every year by physically going and paying it um, but she hasn't had a notification and she's wondering and uh, what Marion says was that if you have the letter from last year you can simply go onto Revenue's website you need to, you're going to have to have your PPS number and you're going to have to have your property ID which would have been on last year's letter and you can pay for it that away and it's usually much faster to get a response from them by email than by doing it by phone and then a number of people are asking how you actually pay the uh, local property uh, tax you can and this is for the people who are paying it now there's a variety of different ways but people who opt to pay the local property tax in full you can do it debit or credit card obviously you can do that that's available that's the only option that's available on not online others opt to do it with an annual uh, an annual debit instruction it's called for people that do that and actually I have to say that's the way I've been paying it the last number of years then it's the 21st of March that it comes out of your uh, account normal direct debit is going to be this week and of course cash payments you can go into uh, any of the approved payment service providers the most obvious one is your post office and the date it, I know on citizen information they say the 12th of January but I heard Marion say the 15th and I saw somewhere else the 15th basically it's this week that's if you're opting to pay by cash through some of the payment service uh, providers you need to get moving on that and then um, Anne-Marie says Patricia great interview on the local property tax I am opposed to it as my great great grandfather fought against tides in our history and that is a similar tax in my view expressing the excuse that it is 
is globally a globally imposed tax is simply not a valid argument as the universal social charge is not a global tax. So the government has no concern about taking an Irish approach to the USC. So we can do likewise with the property tax. Moreover, many of us paid huge stamp duty and that simply seems to have been forgotten. As for services, we can't get into a hospital, can't get a GP appointment with ease. This country needs better management and less taxation. Thanking you and that is from Anne-Marie and we did touch on that when I spoke with Marion Ryan and it's a big bugbear I think for a lot of people the local property tax particularly those people who did pay very very high uh, stamp duty so we've already paid tax on the house that you purchased and now you've got it you know you're taxed uh, again Hi Patricia regarding the low and no alcohol drinks the spokesperson for the drinks industry uh, just that you spoke to tried to justify the high prices but failed to mention that there's no tax on the non-alcoholic drinks. Spirits is very highly taxed drink in this country and yet a no-alcohol gin, for example, can be more expensive than a 40% proof gin. One could go on as well about mineral prices and what they charge for those as during Mallor and that's a very valid point. I can understand the making of the beers and the gins and the wines. It's the very same process, very same ingredients generally speaking and then they have to remove the alcohol but that's a point that I, I myself you've done you've done the work I should have done I should have thought about that I should have t- thought about the taxation and that surely the taxation then is much higher in the alcoholic drink so therefore the non-alcoholic drink should be far cheaper it's a very valid point Thank you, Ger, for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And then on our current health situation, Patricia, an A&E consultant said last night on uh, radio that up to 500 people die every year as a result of A&E overcrowding. That is an appalling situation that should never and not be tolerated. Fixing the broken health service should be the main priority of our government. That is from John. And Eddie Bandon was on when I was saying one of the solutions that the Department of Health has come up with uh, is that they are offering, just for a set period of time, I think it's to run for the rest of this month. Healthcare workers are to be offered a once-off weekend overtime bonus in a bid to try to boost more staff uh, to cope with the winter hospital surge. They're going to be given double time if they work eight-hour shifts on a Saturday and or a Sunday. And they're also going to be given given time off in lieu. They will get time off in lieu worth half the extra hours until the end of the month. So if they do a 12-hour shift, they'll get paid double time for the 12-hour shift, but they'll get six hours back time in lieu that they can take off. Eddie Bandon makes an interesting point. He said, our nurses are already scarce. If they offer time off in lieu, who's going to cover for them when the nurses go to take their time off? Which is a valid point and one that I wonder have the Department of Health uh, thought about. And then Finbar Sheen in Mallow has sent in a, a great piece to do with our health service and what's wrong with our health service. And, and it, uh, Good afternoon to you, Finbar. Good evening or good afternoon, uh, the, this is a this is a good piece. You've put a lot of work and a lot of research into this, and you are very much pointing the finger of blame for a lot of what's going on currently. Is to do with the reconfiguration of our hospitals and the closing of our A and E's. Exactly, Patricia. I remember back in two thousand and eleven when there was a, an election, you know, and. I attended uh, a public meeting when um, Fine Gael were electioneer um, at the time. And I went to attend a, a public forum with uh, James Riley over in the Arctic Bar. 
He was the Minister for Health at the time. He was the yeah. Minister for Health at the time. The Troika were after being in in this country at the time and they were after finding out that the public finances weren't weren't in this weren't George weren't in a healthy state and at the time and the plans were drawn up then for reconfiguration services with the help of the HICPA and the HSE. Like they completely replanned the whole health system in this country. With the, uh, and when Finnegan and Labour went into power at the time, they closed perfectly viable smaller hospital services and drove people into larger hospitals and to centralise services instead of investing in our smaller hospitals. Yeah, and we were, and t- we were told, asking, and, you, and you remember at the time we were told this was going to be so good for everybody, you're better off going into a centre of excellence than going into a small hospital and we were guaranteed there'd be no problem getting into these centres of excellence. Yeah, like I remember asking James Riley at the time, I could remember to this day and a couple of people asked, what was the future of Mallow Hospital at the time? And he said no services would ever be removed from Mallow General Hospital that they would invest in Mallow to make it bigger and better. This never happened. What they gradually done was remove services from smaller hospitals, drove them into larger hospitals, centralising services, and downgraded the smaller hospitals. Now, I, I will have to jump in and say, in defence of Mallow Hospital, and it's the same with uh, Bantry General Hospital, the services that they do provide, anyone that ever goes through the door, either the minor injury clinic or the medical assessment unit, you're in and out, you're dealt with, you're treated, the staff are fantastic, but it's the fact that you can't get everything that you need is your problem. Yes. Yeah. Like, I remember, Patricia, in twenty. 20- Six, I had a major operation in managing the hospital. They saved my life. Mm. Okay. And I had parts of my intestine removed, you know. And that operation was done in Mallow. Okay. The staff there were exceptional. I remember a nurse sat in my bedside for nearly 24 hours. You know, nurses that came on because at the time I was very, very ill, you know. I couldn't walk. Two feet. I was on morphine and everything for pain and everything, and I had to be monitored. Mallow Hospital done that for me. I never forget what they done for me. You know. Yeah, where all is my, where all is my treatment now yeah. is centralised into the Mercy. Yeah. Every hospital appointment I have, I have to go straight to the Mercy because the services that now are centralised are in, in the hospital. Yeah, and then and we're ending up with these large hospitals, which again we predicted that if you funnel everybody in to one or two centralised places in the city, what happens? You get overcrowding. Now, I mean, we have it every January, but nothing, absolutely nothing, like we're we're seeing this year. And I mean, and to hear a hospital consultant say that that as many as five hundred people, and we will never know for sure how many people have died because they either didn't get treated in time, uh, or the other ones, the people that are avoiding going to hospital because they're fearful of being left on a trolley. They have been fearfully left on a trolley. You know, like it's in 2023, it's disgraceful 
that all the people, one one woman, she came out public, 57 hours on a chair. Yeah. This day and age, after paying her taxes all her life. Like, I know myself, right, and I've seen it, and not recently since two days before Christmas, my father was in hospital, okay? He had an operation. But when the doctors were going around doing their ward, you know, their wardroom, they've seen people and they were saying to the nurses, like, that person over there should be gone, you know, removed to a step-down facility or something. No, step-down facility. Yeah, they're bed blocking. And I, and I, so hate, I hate that word bed blocking. I know, it's I hate, very, it's I hate very the word, but that's what's happening. But, you know? but I mean, I, I had the figures already 599 patients fit to leave but can't be discharged, of which 47 have been deemed dis for discharged six months ago. We've got, yes. you know, 47 souls around the country in a hospital bed that they don't need to be in. But can you t- can that not tell you what's happening in the system? Like last year, the government's been. 7.1 of GDPR on the health system here. Yeah. Germany's been 12.2% GDPR. All right? We have, like, we have 70,000 extra Ukrainian people in the country. No fault of their own. They're seeking refuge here in this country. These poor people are going to have to access healthcare system in this country. They will suffer the same problems as everybody as else. The Irish people are and then uh, and then a huge problem is trying to fill consultants posts and trying to fill multi D's, everything from the physiotherapists, the occupational therapists, the psychotherapists. We're losing. We've a brain drain in this country. And there's there's a part of me can understand why so many of our young and our brightest are leaving because they're getting better conditions, they're getting better pay and better working conditions in other countries. Can you understand why they're leaving? I can, and that's why I said in my post, you know, the healthcare system in this country doesn't appreciate GPs, it doesn't appreciate doctors and nurses in this country. The young people that are training today, they're training to go abroad. A, a, a better run health system in this country. That's the reality. Do you know? Yeah. And then one of their solutions to offer this uh, oh, this overtime for staff to come in on Saturday and Sunday. That's that's not not that's not a long term solution. No, it's not. Like Patricia, you only have to look at the nurses and doctors above in 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 the hospitals, right? Their workplace is unsafe. Okay. That's the first thing. You couldn't like you can't expect outcomes when they are absolutely exhausted and disillusioned with the system. They are disillusioned with the system, you know. And uh, that's what's happening here, like you know. I, I, and I hate to think about strike action, but you can already hear the murmurings coming from Phil Neal. Uh, like, can you see nurses going out and strike? I hope they do, Patricia, because to be honest with you, all right, and I, I'm currently waiting for another operation, you know, but like nothing will change unless they take action. Like they don't appreciate the staff and they are working in the system. They, like it, this has gone on for years. We've had reports about free healthcare for all, election slogans and, and better healthcare for all and we we have this new thing, slanted care. That's going to be the same as anything. For yeah. the last 
since 2011, they're trying to get a grasp on this now again, you know. And yeah, and we're, they, and they're we're still lower services, okay? Yeah. Now they want to go back and use Mallow General Hospital. They want to use the smaller hospitals. That's going to cost more money again. Money that has already been allowed from the budget, that is going to be relocated again, which is going to cost more money again. Like the budgets that they're they're giving every year is going to be eaten up again, moving services back that they should go the system. That they should never have moved in the first place. I have to say, I had a bit of a wry, a wry smile this week when I heard Ennis General Hospital, which would be similar to Mallow and to Bantry, they took their A&E away. And suddenly this week, because of the problems at UL, they started diverting ambulances, having said they would never do that because of reconfiguration. Listen, Finbar, good health to you. And thank you yeah. for that. You put a lot of work can into I, that. Post. Can, I just, can I just mention one yeah. person? I, I just want to wish him a very happy birthday today. He's a very, very good friend of mine. Okay. And his name is Dennis Moyne. He works in the acts of kindness there in Mallow. Okay. He'd be embarrassed. Aye, uh, great guy. Dennis and great, great yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the work that that man does and indeed all the gang. He'd say all the gang at the act of kindness but uh, he's, he's a great guy. Happy birthday, Dennis. Okay, Finbar, thank you for that. All right. No and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. 0818103103. Somebody says, Patricia, regarding the promise by the HSC of this weekend bonus for health staff who work over the weekends, can they really be trusted? That's the, the, the department will honour that commitment. There are numerous staff members still waiting to receive their COVID bonus of €1,000 for services provided during the COVID pandemic. This year, because Christmas Day and New Year's Day fell on a Sunday, kitchen porters working in CUH are paid double time with the usual provisos that they will be offered a shift on the following Monday or Tuesday, public holidays in lieu of triple pay. This year, these triple pay shifts were offered to the more permanent senior staff without them having to work on Christmas Day. It seems promises are made to be broken, according to a listener by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they're holding their weekly lotto draw it's in the community office afternoon at four with a jackpot of €6,800. Bingo in Mallow GAA Complex is on tomorrow night, Friday, 8.15. Jackpot 4500 and all funds raised going directly back into Mallow GAA to help with the running of the teams and working on pitches in the complex. And a race night will be held at Gert Alassa Old School House on the Sheep's Head Peninsula. It's on this Saturday night. It's in aid of the Community Air Ambulance. Racing will start at 8pm. Raffle on the night for some great prizes and there'll be beverages and snacks available. And Fremont Mokra will hold a tractor run next Sunday in aid of the Laura Lynn. That's the only children's hospice in this country. Registration will open from 11.30 to 12.30 in this Meyer GAA Hall with an entry fee of €20. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Now with RTE announcing the six songs that have made it through to the National Song Contest to select Ireland's entry for this year's Eurovision Song Contest, the song gaining the most media coverage is a song called Hawaii, which will be performed by a band called Public Image Limited or Pill for short. It's fronted by John Lydon. Our Eurovision correspondent Johnny O'Mani joins me to discuss this year's entries. Good, good afternoon to you, Johnny. 
Hi, Patricia. How are uh, you? Yeah, you're you're very welcome. Now, for Thank those, for, I suppose, for those not in the know, fill us in on who Johnny Lydon is and who he was well, and how people. John Lydon, aka Johnny Rotten, um, <laughs> from the Sex Pistols. I mean, this is back in going back to the seventies, and uh, he's the last person you would expect to be entering Eurovision, and probably the last person entering for Ireland, but. He's a member, the frontman of Public Image Limited, who celebrated 40 years um, together, are performing, I suppose, back in 2018. So they're well established. They have five top 10 uh, number uh, singles in the UK, top eight, five top albums in the UK. So they're, you know, they have a they have a big, a good track record. And uh, John Lydon, uh, they, they're they're performing in your song. Um, with the song Hawaii, and it's um, it's a tribute to his wife of uh, fifty years has Alzheimer's, and he's her he's her carer, he's her carer, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's it's a very um, I I haven't listened to any of the songs deliberately because oh. I'm going to hold off for another one. Would you believe? Okay, but um, from what I hear, it's it's a contender and a, a big contender. John's mother is from Cork, and yeah. his father is from Galway. And, uh, you know, he has... Um, were, you, were you surprised by the entry? I, the, the first thing when I saw the six and I saw Public Image Limited, and I thought, the first person I thought was John Lydon, but never in, this, in a million years did I think it was them. You know, I thought this is, you know, kind of, there's something skipping here in my head that uh, it's just, you know, but when I read into the details then, I thought, yeah, just like, completely surprised. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's something different, I suppose. I mean, RT have gone all out this year again. They put the opportunity out there for people to submit songs, and they've come back with six um, different, as far as I know, you know, a, a good variety. Last year, I think, was it five songs they hit last year? So yeah. If that me right. And, like, there's some countries go with 30 uh, songs in the final or whatever, you know. So if, if the... If the um, you, you can overdo it with competitions like this you know by putting in so much and you know the the good ones aren't uh, kind of recognised on a live night on, on one hearing you know so I think um, I, I think they've done a good thing again this year and um, it's a broad variety of songs um, broad contenders you know singers and whatever it's very varied so I think um, it, it all makes for a good show on the third of February. Um, okay, and and, and 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 you know we won't know until until the third of February what song gets selected. But just say that it is this um, pu- uh, public image uh, limited, li- limited. Um, and it is Johnny Rotten. I mean, he will forever be in my head. Be Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols. Oh, will will it help that he's? Well known and he has a history. Does that help in when you go it, to Eurovision? It does and it doesn't. The, the bottom line is, it doesn't matter what experience you have. I mean, there's been huge stars have performed in the past, you know, and got nowhere. It's it, the bottom line. It's all down to the song. The cream rises to the top, and while you know he will be known and recognised, has he a fan base? That's the other side. Will his fan base be watching Eurovision? Maybe they're looking at right. Well. You know, his fan base from the 70s would be sitting in with yeah. their old routine on the Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and the, are these the people that are going to vote? They're going to be watching it maybe because they've grown up with Eurovision as well. But yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult to say how it's going to go. And um, 
first of all, he has to pass the the RTE test, I suppose, on the third of February. But there's there's potential there, and that's and he wouldn't be in it. I I, I think RTE are really determined to do well in Liverpool. You know, it's it's probably the nearest city to Dublin, and you know, as the crow flies, and they want to they want to qualify number one for um, the final on the Saturday night. And Liverpool has a good Irish expat population 100%. as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an Irish town. Okay, I've got this. This is about a. Um, it's a little over a minute. It's just a clip from all of the songs. It's like kind right. of a montage. Now, if you want to block your ears, you can. No, no, but, you're grand. But, you're grand. <laughs> and the very actually the very first one is uh, is um, uh, Public okay. Image Limit and there Hawaii. Just a quick. Clip. I have to say that's just 10 seconds of each of the songs. Um, I think there's a really good selection in there. It's a great, from what I hear, don't know, what stood out for me in those, and I, I have the list here and I, I see that they, they've come, uh, the list of six that I have, you played them uh, in from six down to one. I did, yeah. I, yeah. And number five there, uh, Kimoni and Indy Down in the Rain, that stood out to me as a really kind of contemporary and, um, you know, something completely different for us. Yeah, and the, but the one for me that got into my head straight away was the one from Wild Youth. What? Uh, we are yes. one now. Wild Youth, they're they're doing well. They've had a, they're that four piece Dublin band that's had a string of hits. Yeah, and they've they've um, toured with Nile Horn, Louis yeah. Capaldi, Westlife. So I mean, this this isn't um, like Eurovision is a, a new um, depart- uh, avenue for them, but it's. It's one way of doing it for themselves, you know what I mean? And uh, they've sold out tours in the UK and Ireland. And, um, you know, they've written hits for Moncrief, the script, you know. So they're they're doing well and uh, they they know what they're they know what they're able to do. If they've toured with Louis Capaldi in Westlife, you know, they, they have to be good. OK, people are wondering, how does the selection process happen on the 3rd of February? It's the Late Late Show. They're going to have a panel, as far as I know, but the panel are not going to be... Uh, voting this year are commenting as far as I know for the simple reason last year you may remember all the the panel they had didn't vote for Brooke Brooke they had Brooke in second or third place I think and there was kind of a bit of controversy after saying well why have this why have that you know I think they were 50% of the vote but it's it's going to change up this year but it will be a public vote and I think they're having an international vote if my memory serves me right but it's going to be um a good show, I think. You know, it's something they've they've done something different again this year and uh, gone above and beyond. I think what 
what we expected. I, I, I thought they were going to, you know, nominate somebody or whatever. But the fact that um, it was an open competition and anybody could enter, um, we have a varied uh, yeah. result. And, and they, are, they, 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 they definitely are trying. And of course, Eurovision, as you mentioned, is going to be held in Liverpool in uh, May. They're hosting it on behalf of Ukraine. Is that what the BBC On behalf of yeah. Ukraine. It's going to be um, Ukraine and it, it's a BBC production, but there's going to be a lot of Ukrainian influence there as well. And um, it, I, I think they're going to do a, a great gig there. Um, on the 31st of January, just if anybody's interested, live on BBC Two at 8pm, um, Ryland Clark and AJ Ardudu will be having the um, hosting the allocation draw where they decide what, what countries are in which semi-final. Okay. And that's, that's going to be live on BBC Two. And while no presenters or anything have been announced yet, I think Ryland is probably, it could be Ryland and AJ because uh, what happens usually in these allocation draws is always at least one of the presenters, you know, take part in this or do this. So it's it's very possible that they'll be presenting the show. Good, cho- good choice, would you say? Excellent choice. I so think the so pictures so, them yeah. on the website and they look great together. Yeah, and, you know, I love they, Ryan. They, yeah, yeah. And he, they're, they're two naturals and uh, it's be interesting to see. I mean, there, there's loads of names being mentioned, but it, it's, I think for the next, from now on, things are going to just kick off and there'll be announcements left, right and sideways of what's happening in May. Have you tickets booked? Nothing. No tickets <laughs> on sale yet. Are you, go- I, are you going though? I'm going. I don't know whether I'm going to go at the beginning and come back for the final, or okay. go. I, I'm I'm kind of stuck. I'm between the pillar and post at this stage because accommodation is a big problem at the moment. Is it? But, yeah. Yeah. Huge and uh, not even that. I mean, a lot of people are saying like they're going to stay in Manchester and you know you can get a train in an hour up and down or whatever. But it, at the moment, I'm I'm booked off to be in Liverpool okay. but I don't know I, I, and whether it's for a day or a week or two or three days I, I don't know I and you, you have no long lost cousin living in Liverpool will give you a couch no? not that I know no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put the search out for you we'll put the search out for you okay somebody says I cannot believe that we are going to have a former Sex Pistols frontman flying the flag for Ireland where we're going to have to wait until the 3rd it, of yeah. February always a pleasure and actually uh, Johnny to speak with you and while I have you on uh, I only discovered this yesterday because you know our thoughts are very much with uh, Paddy Palmer's family today because yeah. the funeral is underway. But you were a pupil of Paddy's. Yeah, I uh, was in Intercert when Paddy started in Brogan's and Bandon, and uh, I think I was one of the first in, in one of the first classes he taught. And you know, I, he taught me up to leaving cert, like I did three years of, of him teaching. An absolute gem of a teacher. We used to have great fun. You know, he he was, you know, he got the information out there. You had respect for him. And great fun and um, just, you know, sad to hear, like, even, he was always, Mr. Palmer, to me, I think the last time I saw him was five or six years ago, and I said, Mr. Palmer, go out at his party, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. a gentleman, and so, such such a, a tragic... Um, yeah, he had so much more to give, he had just so, so much, much more, more to give. give. And, yeah, and, and that's just it, but... Uh, there, there you have it, you know, may yeah. rest in peace. Thanks for that, uh, Johnny. We'll speak again uh, with your vision in mind, uh, but I appreciate you joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Court today on C103. Call Patricia.
Patricia with your comment. 0818 Some of your thoughts on the Eurovision. Shay says, Patricia, wouldn't one think that the penny would have dropped by now to stay away from the Eurovision Song Contest? They, and I'm assuming Shay means RTE, sunk that ship long ago when they insulted the contest and every musician and every singer and every songwriter by sending a turkey in a shopping trolley that sang out of tune purposely. It was nothing short of mockery to the contest and to the contestants and a huge embarrassment to the people of this country. They still won't give up trying to raise that ship from the depths of the ocean. They'd have a better chance of rising the Titanic and sailing it again than Ireland claiming victory at the Eurovision Song Contest. No matter how great the song will be, no disrespect to any of the artists and musicians or any of the song writers and that's from uh, Shay. Anthony says love the Eurovision. It will be brilliant. Hope Ireland will be lucky. It will be lovely to see them win says uh, Anthony and the fact that it's going to be just over the water in the UK is an added bonus for us in Ireland. And hi Patricia, whatever about the notoriety of Johnny Rotten ex Sex Pistols, we need to pick the best song. We have up and coming artists like Adki, Connolly and Wild Youth in the Eurosong this year who have some great tunes. I hope their songs get as much publicity as the one from John Lydon, the Hawaii song. We need to send something that appeals to all if we're ever going to qualify and get out of the semi and get into the grand final. And at this stage, that's what most people, most of us who follow the Eurovision hope because for a number of years we didn't get past the semi-final and we didn't get into the grand final. And it's just never the same watching the grand final if Ireland are uh, there. I particularly like when you mention Wild Youth I particularly like the Wild Youth one and uh, Connolly's um, Midnight Summer Night is another good one I mean uh, the, and somebody said I didn't like the song that she played that was a clip there was a montage of all six that have made it through it was kind of 10 seconds of each one 3rd of February somebody's asking when does our song get selected uh, the, it's a special Euro, late late Euro, Euro song on the 3rd of February 0818103103 and that's where we leave you for today my thanks to Bernie Murphy uh, sitting in for John Paul uh, today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Sure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.